This episode of the PC Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Videoblocks.com. Stop overpaying for stock media that's underwhelming. Videoblocks is an affordable, subscription-based site that gives you unlimited access to over 100,000 HD video clips, After Effects templates, and motion backgrounds. Get your seven-day free trial at Videoblocks.com slash promo slash PCPer. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is podcast number 364, being recorded August 26th, 2015. I'm Alan Malventano. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Sebastian Peek. Yep, we kind of threw the boss out. He's off covering some stuff that we probably can't talk about just yet. We could see the top of everyone's head tonight. Uh, I don't know if this is good or bad. Hmm, yeah, we don't, we don't have Ryan, like, doing this number... Yeah. Like he was before. Uh, so we're going to talk about like some news and some reviews and some stuff. But before that, let's uh, pimp out the various things we need to pimp out on the list here. Uh, you can find this podcast and a bunch of prior podcasts and show notes and everything else at podcast.pcpro.com. Uh, sorry, pcpro.com slash podcast. The email for us is podcast.pcpro.com if you want to email us about um, your papers or whatever. That's that voicemail that we don't use anymore, unfortunately. Might need to reopen that so we can have the old ladies asking us about the papers. Um, Twitter.com slash Ryan Shrout for the boss. Twitter.com slash PCPur for pretty much all of us. And then we'll throw the other Twitter ones out towards the end for all the other guys. Um, you can subscribe to our spam list. He keeps calling it spam list in the show notes. So we have a mailing list to let you know when we're about to record a live show. Uh, you put your name in there, you put your email in there, and it just automatically adds you to the list, and we put out a blast, you know, a little bit, like about an hour or so-ish, uh, before we record something big, or if we have some other big event coming, we might give you more of a heads-up notice than that, like something that's wasn't on the schedule. Um, that's all we use it for, and uh, we will not spam you other than for that reason. So keep that in mind before you uh, subscribe to it. All right. Uh... Wow, Jeremy. I guess we're just gonna start and just let you start talking, and I will right. and I will vana for you accordingly. Considering how much work that Lenny and the gang puts into it, it's more than worth mentioning. Coming up this uh, Saturday is the eleventh Fragging Frogs VLAN. Uh, we already have an obnoxious amount of people that have signed up for it, and as always, we are giving away a ridiculous amount of prizes. If you want to win, you have to post to the thread that's linked in the thread, the uh, show notes. And join us on the TeamSpeak server, uh, server, and we will. Lenny will be calling out names the whole time. We've got AMD in the past. We've had uh, Epic. We've had uh, Bohemia Entertainment. We've had a lot of different sponsors. And regardless of whether you win or not, you're going to have a great time because there is a huge amount of games that we'll be playing up to and including the first appearance of Rocket Cars because that just came out. So if you can, sign up for the forums, hang out with the Fragging Frogs on a regular occasion, but if you just want to figure out what it's all about, grab yourself a whole bunch of your favorite drink, a bunch of snacks, and show up at 10 p.m. Uh, or 10 a.m. Eastern on Saturday and start fragging. Uh, so that Rocket League thing, or Rocket Cars, pretty much guarantees that Ryan should make an appearance. Oh, you'd think? He's kind of addicted to that game. Just saying. I've yet to play it. Uh, so I haven't either. If you value any of your free time, um, don't play it. 
Anyway. All right, so that one's down. All right, well, I guess I'll get into the weekend review here. First up, that's a monitor review that I did not do. I am very that happy. That kind of rhymed. I am very, very happy about this. Sebastian is my savior with the Asus PB258Q frameless 25-inch WQHD IPS monitor. Yep, kind of a weird size, 25 inches. There's a couple of these sub-27-inch WQHD monitors I've seen. This was the first one. I was looking for a new monitor a while back, and I brought this up on the podcast a while ago, but I finally got around to putting a review together. Just kind of a quickie, but it's it's a nice... It's a nicely made monitor. It's under four hundred bucks. Uh, it seems to go for about three seventy seven on Amazon and other retailers. And it's IPS, the full fourteen forty p display. It claims to have a hundred percent sRGB coverage, so a decent backlight and really good viewing angles. I noticed from this thing it has a fully adjustable stand. The screen rotates, tilt, height adjustment, um, and it comes with a bunch of accessories. Uh, if you're watching the video, you can see it has every type of video cable included, HDMI, DisplayPort, VGA. Um, so it's ready to go right out of the box. The out-of-the-box calibration actually looked pretty good, too. But the the kind of the selling point that Asus uses for this, besides the more compact size, is, is what they call a frameless monitor. It lies like a push-up bra. It does. So I mean, it, it looks great. <laughs> and when it's turned off, it... It's fantastic. I took most of the pictures with the display turned off. It looks so good because it's like a millimeter plastic frame around this thing. But when you turn it on, you see that there's still that internal LCD frame. It's about a quarter of an inch on all sides. Where I'm looking for the first picture of what the display on. Oh, well, there's color. Uh, right, I think right. it's at the bottom. Uh, Ooh, look at that. Look uh, at that color just, shift. It's just black. Boo-da-doop, Okay. Oh, there it is. Yeah, so it it's got about the average uh, bezel for a for a, a small bezel display, like one of the new Samsung TVs that goes almost all the way to the edge of the TV. But it's it's got that internal frame. It's just masked out with that matte finish plastic um, cover that's yeah. over the screen. Just the front, it, it, just the front element of the display, just. Yeah, kind of extends, and, and right? that extends past the frame, and they mask it out nicely, and it's it's kind of edge to edge. Uh, but it, I didn't buy it for that purpose, so I didn't really care. Uh, I, it really is a very good looking display that calibrates pretty well. It didn't have the best um, results, and I didn't get into uh, really analyzing the color performance of this thing. And I wasn't using professional grade software; I just did a quick calibration with my data color software. But I noticed that I got wildly different calibration results at different brightness levels. So it tells me that there's not that maybe the like the backlight at fifty percent produced a different calibration than the backlight at the recommended twenty percent because it wanted to do it at one hundred and twenty. Uh, was it shooting for a specific like candelas per square? Or whatever it was. It was that. shooting for one twenty. Yeah. And I know that we do a lot of testing at like one hundred and eighty lux on screens at the site. I didn't put it up that high. I have a, had it in a pretty dim room. But when I did push it up to about 50% backlight, because uh, 120 on this thing was only 20 to 21% backlight. Right. Um, and this thing at 50% calibrated a little bit more accurately. But huh. it, 
it was it was a little all over the map. It wasn't the best uh, performance I've ever seen, but it, it looked really good. And considering this is less than four hundred bucks for a display that has really good viewing angles and did uh, really have the hundred percent sRGB coverage, I thought I thought it calibrated very nicely. It looked pretty natural. So if you're looking for a monitor that's and it's only sixty hertz, so it's not going to give you any variable refresh rate. It's not high refresh, but it's a fully adjustable monitor that. That seems very well made. I've been using it every day since I bought it, and I've had it for, I think, since the beginning of June now. So just kind of a, a, a very good quality daily driver monitor that looks nice on a desk. doesn't take up too much space. All right, cool. Uh, next up, Qualcomm Hexagon 680 DSP, which is a Snapdragon 820 part. Is that how that okay, works? Okay, so... Well, the, the Snapdragon 820 is is the uh, latest announced Snapdragon CPU, APU, whatever you want to call it. Uh, SOC, I guess, would be the best descriptor of this. Uh, that is their latest, newest. It's got the Adreno 530 graphics, uh, the new Cryo CPU, which is their, their custom-made uh, um, 64-bit ARM V8 uh, ISA based CPU. So the Hexagon 680 DSP is uh, as far as I know, I mean, Jeremy, did you read any of this? I, I took a quick look at it uh, just uh, because I'm sort of familiar with it uh, through the Blackberries as well as yeah, so more than a couple the, of... The DSP is, is a specialized portion that does certain workloads. It will offload from the GPU and the CPU and certain things can do really, really well. And in previous parts, it, it helped with some encoding. Uh, in this, it does quite a few more things. Um, I think the biggest that they're pushing is what in terms of uh, image quality stuff. So, uh, say for low light pictures and video, on the fly, it will brighten areas, keep the other areas dark. Uh, sharpen anything that has to do with photos or videos. This probably th- is is going to be moving along. Um, so it sounds like gosh. this sounds like this is for like the kind of tech you see in phones where they're able to do a bunch of shots rapid succession or mm-hmm. you know because you need a hardware DSP to be able to do all the image processing on the fly like that, right? That's kind of like what exactly. Apple was doing it's, with the it's another portion of the the chip that it's you know some things are probably going to leverage the gpu but it's going to help out in areas where the gpu obviously is not as good uh another thing i guess that it it helps with communication with the modem i'm not entirely sure how it does that aid cellular modem and communication throughput so as we're getting to you know higher and higher you know uh, throughput i mean 4g goes pretty dang fast i mean it's we're seeing 30 megabit and above that in, in some areas that are not, uh, you know, totally oversaturated with uh, cell phones. And there's, you know, only kind of so much fabric that, uh, that you can utilize in terms of bandwidth on these SOCs. And so apparently this also helps it also. Uh, there's an area called the Low Power Island. And this shifts how always-on sensors can communicate with the operating system. So instead of having your CPU chugging through a bunch of cycles, you've got this lower power area that 
that handles the sensor stuff. So say, for instance, you've got a cell phone and it's got a, uh, a light sensor on there that it's always on that tells you when you, you know, turn it on how bright your screen should be for the, uh, for the environment. That's, that's something you don't want to waste a lot of power on. But it's kind of important to be able to get the screen up and at the brightness level you need to be able to see on like a sunny day or not get blinded in the middle of the night without a moon. Uh, anything else you've picked up uh, through this, Jeremy? Uh, I mean, that's mostly it, is that you're going to be seeing uh, better picture taking in lousy conditions. You're going to see higher performance overall. And from what they're showing, uh, you're going to see a lot longer battery life or a smaller battery giving you the same amount of life. It's it seems like it takes them forever to come out with stuff, but when they do, it's it's usually a noticeable improvement. I think it's interesting that they have that compute DSP that it can work in tandem with the the actual like the radio, the cellular radio. That's an interesting point to me because the more DSP horsepower you have behind a, a radio, like any radio for communication like that, that just it will either give you more speed or it will give you better uh, like better handling of noisy environments. Right, that's where DSPs are really strong. So if you're, you know, you might have like if you have this particular part in your phone, and you're at something like CES where there's a whole crap load of phones around you and everybody's trying to do stuff all at once, stronger DSP kind of prevails in that situation. Like it'll be able to, it'll you know, the more horsepower you have, the more you can kind of get signals out of like a mess of other stuff that's going on at the same time. So. You know, just might uh, increase just the overall performance of, like, the cellular performance of phones that are using that. So it's yeah, and yeah. it's something else about this is that uh, essentially it's it's three different parts on the chip. Uh, the compute DSP it uh, handles what's called HVX or vector extensions coprocessor, and that's the part that does low power compute, audio, voice, image, video processing, and computer vision. That's something that potentially they're going to, you know, compete with Intel. Uh, what's their 3D vision thing called again? Real sense? Yeah. Real sense. Real sense. Yeah. So I'm going to be curious if uh, Qualcomm does that. Then, of course, the second is the low power island. And then the third is the cellular and the modem DSP. One cool thing about sort of the low power island he was talking about, I'd, I'll probably butcher this mostly, but after he got off the call, he thought this was an interesting point. Uh, whereas Apple has moved a lot of those functions off to a separate coprocessor in the M6 or the M8 or whatever yeah, it is M8, in, yeah. in this generation, he said that Qualcomm found that they could they could have more power savings by not by putting it on the DSP in a low power island instead of halting the CPU and bringing it back up when there was action on the coprocessor to act on. Makes sense. So they found a happy middle ground there where it was faster and still low power. Yeah, and I mean, it's on the same chip, so it's not like you're trying to talk to another chip exactly. and yeah. figure out, you know, hey, what happened while I was asleep and do all that communicating as soon as you try to come out of standby. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, cool. So if you want much more technical detail on this, feel free to hit the Qualcomm article that Ryan put up. All right, that knocks out that guy. Any other, uh, anything else on this guy before we move on? Bueller? Bueller? No further questions. No. no further questions, Your Honor. All right. Next up, uh, Nexus View. 24-inch, 144 hertz TN, 30 to 144 hertz FreeSync. 
display review. This one we did in-house here. Um, uh, we first heard about this panel during the issues and the massive forum threads of like overclock.net that resulted from the initial round of FreeSync panels that had overdrive that wasn't working. And one of the guys from Nixius popped in that thread and was, you know, speaking on behalf of, hey, like, we can get it working. Like, we're not shipping a panel yet, but it, we got it working. Like, kind of from the standpoint of, we can't really, we don't understand why the other guys aren't doing it because we're able to do it, right? Like, we, we see it working here in-house on this panel that we haven't, that we, you know, that we're not shipping yet. Um, so that led to some discussions with them off to the side, and then that led to, uh, you know, hey, now the panel's out, and we got a sample to test. Um, panel shipping right now. It's, uh, it's, it was showing in stock as, as of yesterday when we published a review on it. Um, so this is basically just 24-inch 1080p TN panel. It's as far in that respect. It's you know just like every other kind of small TN panel. It does take you back a little bit because what we've been seeing for the past couple of years is 1440p or higher, you know, 4K, 27-inch, maybe even larger uh, panels in G-Sync and FreeSync flavors. Um, this one is FreeSync, but it's very impressive that uh, Nexius has been able to produce a panel, regardless of size, that has, I would argue, the full range, right? And yes, it doesn't go less than 30, it doesn't do the multiple frame thing, but it's only a 1080p panel. <laughs> it, you know, your games, even if you're on slightly dated hardware, your games should probably be able to still run at 30 or higher, even at max settings in a lot of cases, at only a 1080p resolution. So when it comes to that, I'm fine with a bottom limit of 30, right? If this was a 1440p panel, then I would still be making that argument like, hey, it, what, is, what does it do when you're either riding 30 or you tuned your game for 35 and it dips below 30 temporarily? It's going to be really hard to hit 30 on the bottom end on a panel like this. Um, there was a little bit of an oddity that we noted, and I'm going to have to go to the other page for this other view, but uh, this does not look like any TN panel we have looked at. And by looked at, I mean just sit at a desk and look at the screen. Um, it does things different than a normal TN panel does. Like a regular TN panel, if you've witnessed one, just sat in front of one, which chances are you have, um, it has its kind of sweet spot that if you look at it straight on, the colors look about as good as they're going to look. And then if you move your head off to the side or if you're standing over a person's shoulder that's looking at it or if you're looking at it from down above like as you're you know, going to sit at the, at the table that the display is at, it just gets really washed out. That's what TN panels do. The viewing angles tend to be really harsh on you and the color only looks kind of accurate when you're looking at the display head on. Um, this panel, that angle, that optimum angle is actually you'd have to sit your chin on the desk and look up, like 30 degrees up at the display. That's the angle where everything looks correct on this I've one. Noticed, I've noticed really cheap TN panels in some laptops with that phenomenon. Okay. Um, if you tilt the monitor, if you tilt the display way back and look from the bottom up, right. you actually get better color saturation and better contrast. And if you look at it head on, you see like, like a milky sheen yeah it makes it really milky yeah and um what nexius did so i'm guessing that 
their choice in this panel, and this is just this is not from them, but this is just kind of like my educated guess here, is since we haven't seen panels from anybody else be able to do this range um, on FreeSync specifically, uh, I'm guessing that Nexus wanted that range. Probably that was like their high priority. Um, and out of the handful of panels that could have done that, I think they just kind of had to settle on this one. Um, and then once they made that choice, they did some other stuff to try to compensate for that. And what they did was the out-of-the-box gamma on this panel is 2.6, not 2.2. So if you run at a much higher gamma, that makes the contrast... But, but the effect of increasing the gamma number makes the contrast just like a higher contrast. Um, so that sort of counters the effect of looking at the display at what would be the wrong angle, even though you're actually just looking at it straight ahead. Um, and that actually gets it most of the way there. So if we fired up a game right away, that was like the first thing we did was run a game with it at its defaults out of the box. It looked pretty good. Um, the, the catch was when we tried to calibrate it and we used the recommended setting from them, which was dropping the gamma uh, of the panel itself back down to 2.2, it actually worked out to something like 1.5 or 1.6, which is super, super washed out. Um, the gamma setting with the default out of the box where it's trying to shoot for 2.6 when you look at it straight on, that actually worked out to 1.9. So it's almost 2.2. It's still a little bit on the washed outside. But in either case, we were able to calibrate it, and once calibrated, it looked great. Um, you know, because you're calibrating it from that direction, looking straight at the panel, and, you know, calibration pretty much compensates for that. Um, uh, we, our recommendation for this panel is... Uh, and actually, here's, here's the example of uh, looking up at the display. That's with no calibration applied, everything kind of out of the box, and you have to really look up at it at a, that sharp angle there to even kind of get correct um, color reproduction. Um, so we did a calibration of it. Uh, the calibration is actually posted in the review, so if you did happen to order one of these panels, uh, we recommend you leave your gamma setting to on, which is the, or sorry, gamma setting to off, which is that 2.6 value setting. That'll have you covered for games, because color profiles don't apply to games. Um, and we have just a round of settings for you to tweak your panel to, and then a color profile for you to download, and that should get, assuming your panel is similar to our specific panel, which they're probably going to be reasonably close, uh, that should go a long way to helping you get the gamma looking more correct and it'll make it a much more usable panel just for desktop use, just like when you're in Windows, because trying to do desktop-type stuff, just even web browsing, um, with a washed-out kind of display is very hard on your eyes. Um, so this will at least bring some of that, you know, bring the contrast back. Um, so that aside, that was really the only ding that we had on it. Um, everything else is amazing. The price is awesome. This is actually going, there's two different models. One has kind of a cheaper stand that only tilts. Another one has the height adjust and tilt and rotate stand. And um, as it turned out, the uh, the monitor started going on sale for the price of what was supposed to be the MSRP of the one with the cheaper stand, but you're actually getting the better one, essentially for free. It's like kind of like they threw it in. And that price is 330 bucks. So 330 bucks for a 24-inch gaming-ish, like, mostly meant for gaming display uh, that goes from 30 to 144 hertz. FreeSync. That's awesome, right? That's probably the cheapest we've seen of any variable refresh rate display that's come out. It's about 50 or 60 bucks cheaper than the closest G-Sync, I think. 
It's I think it's more than that cheaper. Uh, I, I think there's a sale going on right now oh, that's skewing okay. it a bit. I, okay. I, I think regularly it's about a hundred dollars cheaper because that 1080p Asus or that 1080p Acer sure. yeah. display normally goes for five hundred. So if it's on sale right now for a little cheaper, that's yeah. I could see that. Yeah, there's one for four something right now. Okay. Alan, um, is this the biggest range you've seen for variable refresh on FreeSync so far? This no? is the biggest range for FreeSync, yes. Um, most of the FreeSync displays, I'm trying to think if any of them have hit 30 in the first place, because they've been 35 and 40 and like 42 and like 47. I don't think any have hit 30. So this is the first one to hit 30. The only one to come close was the Asus, the recent Asus FreeSync, 1440p. Yeah, 279Q. Yeah. Um, but that one had a limited range in both directions. It didn't go all the way to 30. It was 35. But in order for them to go to 35, they had to make some other compromises, and the top end was limited to 90 when it was in FreeSync mode. If you turn FreeSync off, it could go to 144, which was great, unless you wanted to be able to just, you know, game and not have to turn FreeSync on or off depending on what game you were playing and how fast you wanted the display to go. You should just be able to just have FreeSync on all the time and never touch that setting and just use the panel either desktop or gaming. That's my opinion. Um, so, yeah, so price, great. Um, the color slash gamma issue, uh, pretty much fixable, but it is it is a ding, it is a negative, but it, but it is a fixable negative. Um, you still have the issue of, you know, if you're looking at a TN panel from the side, the color is not as good as it is head-on, but... Because you're technically already to the side of this panel, when you calibrate it, uh, that makes the effect much less. So that actually effectively makes the viewing angle better than any TN panel that we have looked at in the office here. Which is just really weird side effect, but hey, if you know you can get a better viewing angle out of it on account of it, then I guess that's just a bonus. Um, also, it's really light. Maybe... All 24-inch panels are just this light, but this one just seems really lightweight. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and if you're trying to go to lands with this thing, this would be great. Uh, like it I'll, would pack very nicely. It, yeah, it would pack very nicely. Um, there is. So it would take like 35 of those to be like a 15-inch CRT in terms of weight. Uh, probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a very, very lightweight panel. Pulling it out of the box, I just kind of like did this. Yoink. Yeah, just I, actually, like, you picked in the box that I had opened earlier and asked if I took the monitor out. Already. Yeah, yeah, that's how it started. <laughs> and I was like, "Is it in the box?" Um, and there's a Acer should listen to us on this part. There's no glossy anything, not on the bezel, not the screen, not on the stand. Nothing's glossy. Like we don't need the Fisher Price glossy random bits on the, especially on the Acer. That's From pictures, me. when you look at this monitor, it, it looks pretty cheap, but like it's actually made out of a nice plastic, and it's sturdy, and it's yeah, it's all you could want from a three hundred and thirty dollars monitor. It's probably more when yeah. it comes to yeah. the build. Is I would argue the build of this is better than the Acer displays that we've oh, yeah. been kind of dinging on the on their builds, right? Yeah. It's just even with even with the really dinky stand that weighed nothing, that was just holding it at the bottom, um, it was still holding it reasonably firm. And, like, the monitor wasn't jiggling around as you move the desk and stuff like that. It was just anything, yeah, any, really anything you could want out of 
out of that. And while we haven't got our hands on the premium stand, it essentially looks like to me kind of the old stand from like the Dell Ultra Sharp 24 inch monitors. Yeah. Just that bolts onto the back because it has Visa already. It's so a, I think it's, it's a just, standard Visa stand. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's they're OEMing Visa stands from somebody, and that's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that's what they're doing. Um, they, uh, we probably have a stand coming. Oh, okay, cool. Um, he emailed afterwards and said, "Hey, we got the stands, um, so we'll be able to at least you know throw a news post or have just a picture or two up uh, showing what the display looks like with the other stand." There is a, a stock photo from them in the article showing it, just in case you were curious. Um, you know, one thing, one question I have for you. Yeah. You are familiar with those TN4K panels. Yes. How do you compare this to those? Because those are not, again, they're, they're atypical for TN in terms of color saturation and view angle and all that. How are they doing as compared to that? This is very much the standard 1080p-ish kind of TN as far as the off-axis performance. Like, we've noticed much better performance out of 4K panels because the pixels are much smaller and they did some other tweaks in there. That does not apply to this. This is the old school kind of TN. Um, and like I said, it's not only is it the old school, but you're already viewing it off-axis and have to correct for that with calibration. Yeah, if you buy one of these monitors, just go to the article and do the steps to apply a calibration profile, and you'll be most of the way there. It'll, be, it'll look fine, but yeah. just do that. Just do that for me. That makes it, that makes it passable. It, it actually makes it look pretty darn good yeah ryan even you know i was like once i got it calibrated ryan looked over at it and was like wow that's you know looks pretty good with that yeah. without that it can be pretty rough without that it's really it's <laughs> out of the box to contrast that ryan's reaction when i put it on the desk over there and plugged it in and fired it up the first time ryan was immediately went into oh like his response was okay let's type up that email preparing the company for bad news like that's that was the initial response, but you know, once we did what we did, um, it's very, very usable, very passable. You know, I would say probably you can get away with it just using it for like actual production. You know, like desktop, like not color accurate stuff, but like you can comfortably use it to do word processing and stuff without really straining your eyes. Watch movies. Definitely, it's definitely great for movies. Yeah. Oh, would yeah. you want to watch movies or do desktop productivity without calibrating it, though, Alan? No. So then you've got to factor in the cost of at least a hundred to hundred fifty dollar calorimeter just to really even use. Well, no, because I think you can get ninety five percent of the way there just by using the calibration that we put in the article. Oh, okay. So just follow those settings. Yeah, yeah, that's it's... the case. Like, TFT Central does this a lot. Um, they have a huge database which we actually link to in the article, and I've submitted this our calibration from this panel to their database. So hopefully they'll update that. But. They do the same kind of suggestions. They're saying, hey, you know, you don't, no, don't necessarily have to buy this color emitter and do all this extra legwork. And trust me, this, the learning curve is kind of steep on the color emitter thing, too. Like, the software and all that stuff is just kind of, like, really not easy. Um, even applying the calibration that you already have, if you downloaded it from our article, even that's not easy. But I, I actually link off to TFT Central's guide on how to do that because I trust their explanation even better than how good I could explain that. It's that kind of backwards and convoluted. But assuming you're using one of these calibrations, you're gonna, that'll get you most of the way there. The gamma difference alone is the huge thing, the fact that it's bringing the gamma back to the reasonable number. That is huge. The color was actually fine on this. The tweaks that the calibration profile make to color on this panel are very, mi- very minor. Um, so it was, it was covering like 99.6% of the gamut 
even out of the box. It's just huh. that the gamma was so off that everything looked washed out. The colors were accurate, but they were just super pale. That was the. It's you have to think of it in different in a different way, right? When there's gamma, and then there's color. So your colors can be perfect, but if your gamma's off, it looks like there is no color. But there actually is. It's really weird. That this this panel was a learning experience for me as far as color calibration stuff. Definitely don't let that scare you away if you're interested in buying the panel. Yeah, I wouldn't let I wouldn't let it all scare you away as long as you can click through some dialogue, follow a short list of directions, click through some stuff in Windows, and apply a file that you downloaded from us. This panel will be no different, if not maybe a little bit better than your typical TN panel would have been out of the box in the first place. Plus, it's FreeSync, and it's got a huge... FreeSync, huge range, very cheap. And large tracts of land. Huge tracts of land, yes. Huge. Um, All right, next up. Uh, who did this one? Dell Venue. Oh, look, Sebastian's been busy. Me. Dell Venue 10 7000 series. Yep. If you remember a while back, Ryan had done the review of the Venue 8 7000, and this is extremely similar. It's the same screen resolution, but it's at a bigger size. This is a 10.5-inch tablet. As shipped for review, it was a tablet-keyboard combo. Dell sells these in both configurations. They sell, they're kind of following the Microsoft Surface business model here. You can buy their separate keyboard, which is very expensive for a keyboard accessory, in my opinion. It's like $159. Jeez. And the, the, it's less expensive if you buy it with the tablet. They offer um, the different uh, capacities of the tablet bundled with the keyboard. So what we were sent was a 32 gigabyte model bundled with the keyboard, which retails for was it 6.79 as review. So you're already looking at something that's as expensive as a, a 64 gig Surface, I believe, with a type cover. Yeah. And you're looking at something that's as expensive as buying either the you know 16 gig uh, iPad Air 2 and a. a deluxe keyboard cover or even like a higher capacity iPad Air 2. So on price, they're not competing. What they think they have here is something that is going to compete on just the display quality and the functionality and the keyboard. So I looked at it from both standpoints in the review. How did it work as a tablet, which admittedly I didn't use it as a tablet very much because right out of the box, this thing felt like a laptop to me. The 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 keyboard... Is it does not feel like a tablet keyboard, and the hinge is better than most laptops have ever used. So when you actually connect these two together, when I read magnetic hinge, I'm thinking, oh boy, you know, it's going to be one of those floppy keyboards that sort of hangs off the bottom if you lift up the tablet. And this thing, you can hold the laptop, you can hold it as a laptop by the keyboard, and the screen doesn't move around. The hinge will retain its position no matter what angle you set it to. And it's extremely strong and smooth. So that was immediately impressive. One small problem with it as a laptop is it's a little unbalanced and it's on the small side, of course. So this is a 10.5-inch diagonal device. Very high density. It's 288 ppi. It's 2560 by 1600, so it's a little bit taller screen, which is nice when you're using it in landscape mode. But... That we, we started to get into some of the issues with it that kind of tainted it 
uh, and I really wanted to love this thing, but there were a couple of things working against it the entire time I was reviewing it. The, the most glaring one for me was the operating system. Everything about this, when I took it out of the box, when I powered it up, when I was looking at the hinge and playing with the keyboard and trackpad, they were all top-notch for an Ultrabook. This would have been an outstanding Windows Ultrabook design. It's running Android. It's running the latest version of Android, and I got an OTA update right away, and I'm running 5.1. It's virtually stock Android. It's got a couple of kind of Dell apps on it, but for the most part, it's well over 90% of the way to stock. And the performance was fine, even though it's running the exact same hardware as the Venue 8. You're dealing with that same Z3580 Atom SoC, which at this screen resolution, especially using this older PowerVR graphics chip that it has, is under power. It, if you look at the benchmark pages, you're going to see underwhelming results. It's going to be at or near the bottom of most of these charts, with a few exceptions, but for the most part, over the over the benchmark test, it's not going to blow you away. And where I was hoping it would make up for it as far as performance goes was maybe better battery life if you're dealing with something that doesn't perform quite as well. And the battery life wasn't really there either. The battery life was about the same as the Tegra tablet. And I, and on a, it, in its defense, I was running it at about 80% brightness for our battery test. That's where I got the 180 lux reading from my little uh, light sensor. So and when I was using it myself, I kept it at 50% and had auto brightness enabled. And the screen is so vivid that even at lower brightness settings, I had no trouble with legibility and I was using it for... Uh, productivity in Google Docs, watching Netflix videos, surfing the web, email, using you know the the eBay and other apps that I use on Android all the time, and kind of being reminded of what using apps like that on a tablet is like because it's ex- that is the exact same app as the phone. So just some of those things like the Google apps themselves work great on a tablet. Google's put a lot into their tablet um, experience to make it obviously different, better with a larger screen. But when, when you're using this as a laptop and you're using it with the native uh, cursor support that's actually built into Android 5, uh, it feels like you're using a Windows or a Chromebook uh, laptop. And everything functions like you would imagine it would. I just instinctively started two-finger scrolling and it was working. And it, it's just kind of odd that I'm in Android. I'm doing all this with a mouse. But in the end... Uh, the battery life, the performance overall uh, were underwhelming, like I said. And then uh, in its favor, however, out, just outstanding hardware design and a one of the most gorgeous screens I've ever seen. I didn't get a chance to see the Venue 8 in person when Ryan had the review initially, but this Venue 10, it's an organic LED screen. It's just infinite contrast. Uh, and it, it looks uh, fantastic. It's it's a uh, pentile, so it has that really green-oriented uh, sub-pixel pattern. It's RGBG, two greens for each blue and red. But that really only shows up when you are kind of comparing it against an IPS display or running it, you know, through, a, like when I was running it with a colorimeter and some test patterns, your eyes will naturally kind of account for the difference. It, the, the whites still look white on the screen. It almost had a cool appearance on the screen, actually, as if they were more blue. 
the way that they have the color profile set up out, out of the box, but it it has extremely rich saturated colors. And you know, if if you can live with its shortcomings, if you don't mind Android as an operating system, if you can live with what were admittedly very poor cameras. It's got the interesting uh, RealSense camera technology. It's got dual 720p cameras on the back to do 3D, kind of this 3D uh, stereoscopic thing where they, you know, you can measure distances and um, do some interesting things with focus after the fact, some other camera effects. But the actual 8 megapixel shooter on the back is bad. Uh, I, I took pictures, I put like three pictures in the review that I took outside on a sunny day at about 4.30 in the afternoon here. Uh, downtown at like a train station and it is extremely washed out even though it was you know extremely bright outside so and and the the webcam I did one of the recent podcasts uh, using that just to test out the webcam and it was atrocious video so there, there it's a mixed bag I in the end I ended up giving it a silver award just because uh, I was so impressed by how good the hardware itself was but that's one of those things where I kind of had a disclaimer on it like you're going to need to try this out first make sure Android OS is for you don't buy it for the cameras don't buy it because it's going to blow you away with uh, you know gaming performance or something buy it because you know you maybe were considering a Chromebook you you mostly use Chrome Google Apps email uh, There there is a rich experience for you if the apps or, you know, that you like to use or represented, but it, it's, you know, it, it was kind of a wash whether I even gave it an award, but I, I really, really like the design. And if Dell came out tomorrow and said, hey, by the way, um, we doubled up the RAM that's in it, it's going to have more storage capacity, and we're putting Windows 10 on it, I would probably buy one tomorrow. Huh. Yeah, I'd really like to see a good Windows 10 laptop on an OLED display. I nice. think it would look amazing. Wouldn't I mean, we all? I've... Yeah. Think about a Surface. I mean, it, I don't know if you you guys have seen this. It was around the office for a little while before I grabbed it, but the the hinge is very very good. And the, I've I've looked at other tablets like the Surface that have a kickstand system where you kind of have to prop it up on its kickstand, and then you have to attach this this keyboard that is not a rigid keyboard just kind of lays there and to be able to flip this thing around, it, it basically simulates having a 360 degree hinge, whether you have it oriented forwards or backwards on the tablet itself. And it, it creates a lot of versatility. I was watching, you know, Netflix movies with it kind of cradled in the keyboard as a stand or I'd flip it around, use it as a laptop. And it was, uh, it was a good experience. All right, cool. Josh, Jeremy, anything? No. It looks like a netbook. It really does look like a netbook yeah, it does when look it's like got a the keyboard on it. But hey, oh, there were no OLED key uh, uh, notebooks. So, yeah, that's true. I, I don't know. Hey, it's cheaper than Google's $1,000 Chrome. <laughs> It's half the price. That's true. Half. All right. I'll give you that. All right. Uh, before we get into the news, the boss left us an ad to run since he's not here. 
And that ad is for video blocks. So I will virtually say to the past, take it away, Ryan. This episode of the PC Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Videoblocks.com. Stop overpaying for stock media. That is underwhelming. Videoblocks is an affordable subscription-based site that gives you unlimited access to over 100,000 HD video clips, After Effects templates, and motion backgrounds. And that's a lot of video clips, if you remember uh, in a previous episode where we found a porcupine climbing climbing a hill. I'm sure Josh will come up with something more interesting this week. On average, VideoBlock subscribers pay less than a dollar per download over the course of a year. They even offer the same content you would find on more expensive stock sites. VideoBlocks has a great variety of time-lapse, aerials, U.S. and international locations, slow motion, nature shots, and more. They continuously add new content to the library to keep it fresh as well. Everything is 100% royalty-free, and that's nice. You can use it on uh, private or public Uses, I guess. Josh, you know more about that. Unrestricted usage rights for personal or commercial projects. That's probably wording it a little bit better. And keep what you download and maintain maintain usage rights forever. Uh, I'm going to have Josh pick out two more terms that we're going to find clips for on videoblocks.com. Remember a couple of weeks ago we did find the, the, the porcupine climbing, I believe, is what we used. And this time I'm sure it will be more creative. I couldn't be here for the episode today. Uh, but I have all the faith in the world that Josh will be as equally PG-rated creative as he was in that instance as well. For our audience members, though, Videoblocks is offering a free seven-day trial. If you go to videoblocks.com slash promo slash PCPer and sign up for your free trial today, uh, it's videoblocks.com slash promo slash PCPer, and you can get that free seven-day trial. We thank Videoblocks for their support of PC Perspective. We thank Josh for this awesome clip. Oh, well. So would rolling fatty be no, PG? No, no, that's not. How about exploding orangutan? Uh, I have to remember how to spell orangutan. Orangutan. Wait, what? You're not... Orangutan. Oh, orang... Oh, it's not coming up in the autocomplete. How about... I don't think that's how you spell orangutan. O-R-A-N-G-U-T-A-N. Orangutan. I didn't invent the language, I just abuse it. No you know, Ryan imposing this PG rating on Josh has obviously left him speechless. That's, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> how about falling wreck? I'm pretty sure there's going to be falling raccoon. And what what is it with me and small animals doing? I don't know. I wasn't going to ask. You, you and like small, small animals <laughs> in action scenes. Either ascending or descending? <laughs> falling. Yes, he likes the up and down motion of yeah. the furry animal. There yeah. we go. Money falling. <sighs> the so. Money shot of orangutan. <laughs> no, no, not, not money shot falling. <laughs> Slow motion cash falling onto iPhone 5. That sounds, that's pretty reasonable, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, throw cash. See, the iPhone brings it full throw. circle back to a tech podcast. I, I noticed there's no cash falling onto Android phones, just the iPhones. I guess that's probably an accurate statement. Oh. <sighs> oh. Would knuckle dragging work? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> knuckle dragon? We're work. back to the larger mammals again. Sure, why not? Let's see. What do they got for submarine? Let's look for submarine. 
Uh-oh. One video. Oh, you don't, you don't want to see them? No. <laughs> one video of a submarine. That doesn't... That's... I don't know. Hmm. Oh, wait. You can't see it. It's under the water. There's market... Okay, so there's the marketplace, which is, like, the more videos. And, uh, oh, I see. All right. Yeah. Look at that. Sounds so, like listeners it. at home, you have seven days to come up with some of... some of these incredible concepts of your own. Yes. Like maybe Rogering Hammerstein. Ugh. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Moving right along. <sighs> Thank yous and condolences and apologies go out to video blocks. We tried. Uh, news. GPU market share. All right. Uh, Sebastian, tell us about GPU market share. It was... There were a couple of stories. Um, I don't remember which one contains. Uh, this might be the one that had the uh, the bigger swing. You saw an a about a forty percent swing in the last year or so, where this year AMD has dropped down to just eighteen percent of add-in board market share. They had previously published a report on overall GPU shipments, and that might be what we're looking at here. So is this, uh, when was the end of this quarter? Like, I'm trying end to figure out, end of June? Yep. Okay, I'm just trying to figure out what now, the connection AMD is. AMD had a huge upswing last year because of the Bitcoin mining before, you know, the ASICs kind of took over. Yeah. And, oh, uh, I see. A, so, yeah, and, sh- and last year at this time, that was still going on. You're right, because they, they'd hit nearly 40% at one point. They were like 30, this chart 37.5 or something. And this quarter... Uh, 18%, last quarter 22.5%. More importantly, for many of our listeners, however, Matrox has maintained a steady 0.1% year over year. So they're they're still right there selling dozens of cards. Right. Oh no, they're, they're big in uh, Asia. Yeah. Oh, really? Still. But, but with, with this swing, in all seriousness, NVIDIA at almost 82% market share right now. And that's it's about a forty percent like swing. AMD is competing with Intel in graphics. Hmm. Yeah, when you looked at the the prior report, which just covered all GPUs, including processor graphics, you're right. It was a lot more even, and you know, the APU numbers. You know, even with the APU numbers, they were still only. You know, competing with like Intel and in that market. But in the add-in board market, they have dropped significantly. And part of that has to be, you know, it's not like there isn't demand for their newest product, but it is extremely scarce. Trying to find an R9 Fury or Fury X in stock. And and I looked at earlier today, and I could find one, but you're still talking about a card for their latest generation. You're going to spend 549 and up. And a lot of the third-party sellers are gouging, of course, at this point because they're the only ones with a product to sell. And you know, I, I, I would interrupt with potentially this. Okay. What if those quarter results reflected a decrease in buying because they knew that one Fury was going to be coming out to the other 300 series, and so people just kind of stopped buying them until those products released because the R9 free... 90 and 390x are significant jump 
in terms of you know percentage performance from the 290, 290X of the previous generation. They've got double the memory, and then up above that, you've got Fury. So how many people were just holding off to see what was coming up? And also, how many of people just went ahead and bought the NVIDIA 900 series Maxwell that had been, you know, it's it's been out for a while, but with AMD kind of being a little bit slow on the refresh and getting Fury out, how many people just got tired of waiting? And, you know, well, went with... apparently not all of them, because one of the, the saddest part about this whole story is that we've seen uh, just about a 20% decrease in the entire size of the market from this time last year. Hmm. Yeah, they're selling literally 81.9% of the video cards they were at this point last year, total market overall. Discrete. This does not count the uh, APUs. This is just specifically the discrete GPUs, but the the entire market has just lost 20% of their customer base. That's kind of understandable. Yeah, but how much of that was waiting for Intel to actually launch a new desktop CPU platform? Yeah. I imagine a lot of people still buy all the components at once and don't think about it for two or three years and they're probably waiting for something like that to happen and there's those weirdos that were waiting for Windows 10 for some reason (laughs) losers (laughs) I bit the bullet last week (laughs) task manager is now just another taste. I'm just I was kind of I realize what you're saying, Josh, but I was kind of at least hoping that they would have stayed at the 22.5% and not dropped further, but I guess that's why I was asking, like, when the quarter ended there. As, as trying well, it to... says it's quarter two, which I imagine quarter one probably was, like, fiscal uh, quarters, what, February, usually? Uh, uh, it's January through March, Q2, April through June. Yeah, okay. it's just straight, and that's, straight that's, for the calendar year. That's yeah. calendar. Versus financial. Financial could be totally just look at NVIDIA. Yeah, they're they're already in 2016. Yeah. But they're, yeah both AMD <laughs> and NVIDIA have different crap, but... ideas about financial years. Yeah. yeah. So we could see a totally different story then if with quarter three results, maybe AMD had a big upswing in July, August. And going into September. Who knows? I hope hmm. so. Well, yeah, I mean, well, they came no. out with 300 series parts, and for the most part, they are improvements on the existing 200 series. And the new Fiji parts are expensive and hard to find. So we'll see. All right. Well, uh, speaking of AMD stuff, that would hopefully make their percentage go back up. Uh, We got some photos of the R9 Nano. Confirmed photos. Not like, what what does it mean? Half-Life 3, confirmed. Yeah, that's 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 why I was at. Well, these seem pretty legit, though. They told us they were real. They, AMD no, who cares about oh, AMD that? Said I just heard from Ryan. Okay. He found Pappy Van Winkle. So if AMD confirmed it, then I can, we can call that confirmed. Yeah, um, Ryan, Ryan did confirm it with AMD. These were leaked from a Korean website. It was reported on a Czechoslovakian site that I got these from. But it's an international are, affair. Yeah, yeah, international affair. We need to send uh, yes. need to send Bourne over there and take care of those leaks. All right. Well, looks cool. We've already kind of seen it. From afar, well, we didn't see the the PCB layout before, but there it is. Um, it is kind of amazing how much more compact having HBM is for overall PC buys because that's a still significant uh, power delivery system that they have, uh-huh. uh, even though it's it's 
55 watts as far as we know. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see its overall performance. I think some... Did we cover that later on? It's the next story. We can yes. cover that. Yeah, they kind of flow together because there was a lot of of leaks and slides floating around the last few days with Nano. Yep. All right, so we got what it looks like, and then next up we've got how it's going to supposedly perform. Yes. Now, I will say, based on past history, we should first say, take AMD press slides with a grain of salt when it Never comes to Never trust benchmarks from, pre- from press slides as gospel, because they're always... Especially when they don't way. specifically mention what game or what resolution or what settings. Uh, yeah, that too. I think that was Far Cry 4 at 4K, but that depends on what source you're reading. I think that's what the source that I, I have cited there said it was. All right, so um, performance looks... Okay, so it's a little slower than a Fury X and a little faster than Hawaii. Makes sense. And then the performance per watt is amazing. Yeah, almost to, 2X. It's yeah. like 1.9X according to their slide. All right, well, I mean... They were talking about performance per watt a lot when they talked about this even early. So, I I just can't wrap my head around how it's going to work unless this is the loudest air cooler we've ever heard. So if if it ends up being a quiet air cooler and they can somehow get most of the performance of a Fury X out of something that only has a 175-watt target, that is just amazing. Well, we also have to kind of consider process technology, the amount transistors and kind of the voltage power curve uh, in terms of, of speed. So we don't know what the final clock speed of this is going to be, but people expect it to be significantly lower than a Fury X. But when you look at other products, when they go down to 200 megawatts, their power usage drops significantly, especially large GPUs. If, if you were to get the Hawaii or one of the latest, you know, R9 390s and drop the clock speed down 200 megahertz, your power usage drops dramatically. And so I can see still having pretty good performance at 174 watt TDP with that design and not going insane with the fan speed just because... I mean, it's, it's, it's all just power voltage curves in regards to speed. And you hit a point, I mean, that, that goes damn near vertical. So if you get it well down that curve, but still hit a sweet spot in terms of performance, you could potentially have a nicely running card that doesn't eat up a whole lot. The Fury X, AMD needed to at least match the top-end consumer card from NVIDIA, which was the 7, uh, 980 Ti. And so they had to adjust that curve to achieve those results to make competitive. Unfortunately, that got to 275 watts TDP. All right. Clear as mud? We shall see. Yep. Yes. We'll see. We'll see soon enough. I don't think we know when we're going to see exactly, but it's got to be soon if the right things are going here. Uh, All right. Uh, Next up. Oh, this one. So we got a box in. Mm. It's actually sitting over there. No wonder Intel processors cost so much. Uh, You should tear down the retail packaging, seriously. 
Yeah, like. Well, well, we did tear it down. We opened it up, and then we. No, they, they Intel. Oh. They shipped you a containment unit, and now they've shipped yeah, you a, yeah. a you know, I can't Atari find one of these processors to buy if I wanted to, because they just can't make this packaging in any significant <laughs> numbers so far. That's true. It's got it's got hi-fi eight-bit audio. It's hi-fi, man. So uh, basically, uh, Intel. This is kind of like their their PR push for um, for Skylake. Aren't marketing budgets great? Yeah, it's nice to be the big company and has the cool marketing budget that can just tell some creative people to go nuts, and uh, they pretty much did. And uh, I would say that they successfully went nuts because like this is this is pretty retro what they did here. So they basically made what looks like an old school Atari, complete with wood grain, simulation wood grain. And uh, Ryan had to, you know, play a, a kind of a Simon Says thing with the Intel chime to get this thing to unlock and open up. And then uh, inside was basically just, you know, the, the Skylake CPU and an SSD 750, uh, 400 gig model, and then they sent a motherboard and... Uh, some RAM alongside of it for us to check out. Uh, so you know it's pretty cool. Um, I mean, for for us, we just you know we we had already like looked at the hardware and stuff before. But for the more general population of people that would get excited about you know this kind of a thing, especially like gamers, noticed a lot of gamer uh, vlog blog kind of posts that this had popped in. Would we say Ken that was the majority of them? We're kind of like the gamer, gamer types. Yeah, from yeah. what I remember seeing. So it was it was definitely a nice gift, and slash publicity stunt, because you know now these gamers have a much better system than probably what they were using before. Um, Guess what? You still can't buy the i7. It sucks. Intel should be working on that. Still can't buy it, but those people still they can't got buy them. it, but they'll advertise it using everyone. Yeah, yeah. I I did think it was comical that the. Uh, um, the engineering sample parts. Yeah, our were, review part was the, an engineering sample, yeah. but the one we got in this uh, was... Our, our review part was a retail, and then weird. supposedly Intel got such a large customer order of them that they probably, they're not going to give them engineering samples. This is a big customer order that happened that caused the delay of the general population shipment to all the regular vendors where you and me and whoever else would just order one from. So I guess uh, they probably wanted to still do this and they're probably like, well, we got these engineering sample parts in the pack. <laughs> like, okay, send those out. It's probably what happened. Just a hunch. But, you know, they were free to those people. Uh, but, you know, it was cool. I, I, I really I really dig that kind, of a, that kind of a PR thing, especially when you go all retro. I actually like this one better than even the last one. I think that was even cooler. Unfortunately, I think most of the people that got them might not have owned an Atari. So they <laughs> might not have totally got it. But anyway, probably never saw that particular kind of box style in person and open I it. I see. And open it for Christmas, like Josh did. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We had an Atari 2600 friend that had the uh, Magnavox up. Oh, the Magnavox. Wood grain was exciting back in the yep. day. Oh, grain, God, yeah. Wood grain was all over those things. Yeah. Classy. It fit on the, on top of, of your nice furniture piece of TV. 
that had bookshelves on the side. All right. You've all seen them. Oh, I used to have them. Yeah. My brother just made one for a flat screen. All right, last, uh. last news thing. Sebastian, take it away with case news. Fantex. Fantex. Has announced a new version of the second edition of their Enthu Evolve ITX. And the big story, really, with the second edition is just uh, revised styling a little bit. And what drew, drew me to it right away was the color schemes. There is a white with a black interior, so something a little bit different. Although I have seen this before. Um, and what I thought was really striking, a black case with a totally red interior, which looks pretty cool. And as, at an ITX case, this would be ideal, you know, with the black and red like this for an AMD Nano or a Fury X build, something, something nice and compact with a mini ITX board. So just interesting styling. I would like to get my hands on one of these and, and put it through its paces and see how it, how it performs. Fantex does a lot of really cool things with their cases. I've done a couple of reviews of their uh, enclosures recently, and they have nice, like, removable radiator brackets. Everything is extremely easy to put together. They've got filters where it counts and very good quality construction. So interesting style and color schemes from Fantex here. I think it's supposed to be 70 bucks and 80 bucks, depending on... Yep, so not too expensive, really, for what it is. Yeah, let's see, the white and black is the $10 more. Which I found odd. I would I would have guessed maybe the black and red, but I'm thinking the black is probably like a powder coat and the red is a an enamel. Might uh, cost them a little bit more to do the enamel finish for the white. Yeah, the white enamel is probably cost only to do. And, and have look, and have look right. You know, white is a hard color to to, to get right. Yeah. Well, we know which side of the uh, Star Wars they're on. Yeah. Red and black yeah. and white. Uh, I'm telling you, these guys are Empire. Yeah, they're favoring the Empire. <sighs> Those guys. All right, so uh, that's it for the news. I guess we'll move on to our uh, hardware software picks of the week, which I am currently opening in Zip Browser. Jeremy... What you got? I got a fancy little thing here. Uh-oh. Don't show it. It's from Monoprice. Oh. Because I only cost the one price. Uh, Monoprice set uh, Josh and I up, which is why we sound so dead sexy tonight. I tell you. Uh, it is a condenser uh, cardioid microphone, uh, and it is actually... Not that expensive, but yet this is the quality you're going to hear. So as much as I love them for sending them out to us, I also got to say, I think we sound a hell of a lot better than a $100 headset for using a $100 microphone. That's true. It's cheaper than $100. Uh, yeah, I, I, the, the link for right now, the special is 84 bucks. I think if you buy the uh, dual mesh screen, that's going to cost you another 15 or 20 bucks, and you'll be up to about $100. You are going to sound so much better than, and I hate to say it, but sorry Corsair, sorry Logitech, uh, sorry Plantronics. You got nothing on this. Yeah. Can't got, beat a nice big diaphragm. We've, nope. actually, we've actually given Kingston a few chances too on like their 
awesome cloud series headset. You just that, can't make headsets yeah. sound that good. Yeah, they, no, they, you, they you can't speaker, because this the, thing the is speakers heavy. sound amazing, but the mics are always it, just horrible. It's tiny little mic. They just it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, the, the weight of the box this thing came in, I'm thinking, why in the hell am I getting a drill for Monoprice? <laughs> because it, it actually is, it's not quite as heavy as a drill, but it's, it's a couple of ounces. You're going to get so much more out of that than you are out of an entire headset, including speakers that are cost, that'll weigh you a couple of ounces. Yeah. So keep your eyes out. shock mount, too? No. Hmm? No okay. shock no, mount. No, that's a weird picture. That is not what we, okay. we got. But that one? Apparently, it comes with the ND shock. One is. That's, that's USB, yeah. so it's got the, or is that XLR? Yes. Well, yeah, that one does come with the shock. That is USB. You can get the XLR model if you're shut up that way. That's uh, cool, though. So it's got the, the just direct connection yeah. in. You don't have to worry about. Yeah. And I mean, this one shipped also with this, uh, which is just a really hefty hmm. desktop mount. Oh, it does and ship with that. Okay, cool. That's cool. It's padded on the bottom, so you're not going to hear anything, and it's heavy enough. It's If you whack it, it's not going to move much. I'm trying to figure out which that's model. That's actually a lot better than most of the desktop mic stands I've seen. Oh, God, that's yeah. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah if, I, uh, I, I beat my kids really nicely before uh, coming on here with that thing. Oh, nice. So they got the and bruises, and, and they're not going to do that again. I think the model that we have here that we're showing is the XLR model, though. Yeah, it yeah. looks like. Oh, is that the uh, 600, my mistake. 600 Well, the 600-800 is what I'm also using. I'll have to... Yeah, there's probably some there, there's somehow that yeah, they're somehow distinguishing a difference there. So just be careful yeah. if you're listening to this and you. I would change it. Well, look, look we it up on the Monoprice site. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Yeah. Oh, bloody hell! <laughs> it, it, it's hey, a wee but, bit more. Sorry. As Josh uh, said, you know, if you whack it, it doesn't move much. I do recommend uh, for users that are just going to have the one microphone, definitely go for the USB model. Yes, just to the USB. Because uh, you don't want to <laughs> know the amount of money you have to spend to go from XLR to a PC easily and correctly and stuff. It's don't just, do that to yourself. Yeah, to save, save yourself. Um, which reminds me, the only way that I was able to get a headset that sounded kind of decent was I had to spend like 300 bucks. You on bought, had to buy a broadcast headset. I had to buy a $300 broadcast headset. And then I had to buy another $100 adapter to go, because guess what? It was XLR. So I had to go from XLR to USB and spend more money. So, um, yeah. No, this is a much better way to go. Yeah, just save yourself. Get one of these things. Granted, what I was doing was like five, six years back. So be happy that technology has resulted in progress to give you less pain, I guess. Uh, next up, Josh. Me. What's oh. that? You got a pen. Uh, so anyway... Uh, some weeks back, I, I upgraded to Win 10, and uh, my performance in games went to crap. Apparently, it was a known bug with NVIDIA SLI that uh, the internal page file or something like that uh, got out of control, and uh, you'd have increased amounts of stuttering and nastiness in your games. And so I yanked out my 970 SLIs, put in a single... 290x everything was smoother it was slower in the benchmarks but my experience was of course smoother now it seems that nvidia has in fact fixed this uh, it's a new driver those who like sli and windows 10 download this and see if it fixes your issues so do they replace like if you just go to their site right now and you just go on their main page and try to download the driver is this the most recent one no no it's oh. not even a beta it's a hot, hot fix. fix 
So you just have to know that this exists. Yes. For the moment, at least, until they come out with whatever their next... Which is why it's my pick. Because yeah. Because uh, people to know this. We need to spread the word on this as much as possible. That's the word is the bird. And now hopefully AMD will fix my uh, portrait cross... Or portrait uh, Ifinity. They have a separate fix broke again. for notebooks? Yep. Hmm. That's interesting. All right, cool. Uh, so, yeah, NVIDIA Hotfix Driver. I would... If I was installing Windows 10 and I had SLI, I would definitely have that guy handy. Uh, Don't you? Just in case. Not at home. I'm not running Windows 10. Oh. I was. I tried the tried the early, you know. Yeah. And then I, it pissed me off a couple times. <laughs> so I went back to 8.1. I'll probably move to 10 soon, though, and I will need that. Uh, speaking of reinstall Windows, kind of, sort of. Except it wouldn't apply to me because I have my own build. Uh, but if you have, say, a laptop with OEM stuff on it, you know how you get those laptops and then they have a bunch of crap on them? Uh, somebody designed a thing called Decrap, which is pretty sweet, actually. Uh, and it's kind of tuned to remove all of the OEM stuff that they tend to add, all that crap. Um,. So the idea is you fire this thing up and it gives you some kind of a laundry list of, hey, here's all the crap that I found. Would you like me to remove it all? And then it just, just kind of like like hit go. And it just sits there and it just auto hits all the prompts for you and just rips through all of the uninstall process of all of the things until eventually, though, and this is an awful lot of stuff that that was doing on that machine before it finally got to the point. You can actually see like the desktop icons for all the other crap going away as well. Till eventually you end up with what ideally would be a close to clean install of Windows without having to do the full clean install of Windows. So might be handy for you know, it's probably quicker to run this when you're just trying to help out that person after you did that restore on their laptop. And then you want to get rid of all the stuff that you would usually do yourself. I'm sure Jeremy and Josh can relate since they've done this probably at work a lot. I love it. (laughs) It's so much fun. (laughs) So, you know, looks looks cool. Looks like it would be uh, worth a try. This was actually recommended to me by one of our readers, of which I forgot their name and don't have my email open. So, apologies. I will shout out to you next week. Last, certainly not least, Sebastian. It's least. No, it's not. You know, lives change. And as we move forward, we don't always get to have our favorite game systems out and connected to TVs anymore. Or our game collections out on display. They've been replaced by children's books and other nonsense. So... I was very happy to see that Final Fantasy VII has been ported over to iOS so I can play it on either a phone or an iPad now. It's only on iOS. It's not on Android yet. It took them forever to put Final Fantasy Tactics out on Android, and that was my pick last time I was on. But you can now play what I believe is the PC port that you can get on Steam. That translation, that version of it is on iOS. So some of the famous, you know, miscues with the original translation on PS1 are are corrected on this version. What? And, uh, do you have it installed, Alan? 
I do, and I was going to fire it up, but I... Having a Nexus 6 and not having an iPad right now, I have not tried it out yet. Yeah, it is very faithful to the PC version. How many CDs is it? <laughs> uh... The, the one downside I will say is this is kind of pricey for an iOS app. Well, all Square Enix ones are. I mean, they, what uh, is I, it, $15.99? Yeah, 16 bucks I think might be the highest I've seen a Square, even a Square Enix game. Well, but, what's Final Fantasy VII cost on Steam? Uh, 10 bucks. Oh, is it 10 bucks? Oh, eh. 9.99 when it's not on sale. I think I bought mine for 5 bucks. Yeah. And it'd be a much more pleasant experience than playing on a touch yes. screen. Um, I would think so. Yeah. That was well, my big question is what are the controls like? Is it so, just superimpose them wherever your thumbs happen to be on the screen? So it has an overlay, which I'm not sure if um I'm not sure if they show it in any of the screenshots. They don't, and I don't have an easy way to show it like that's going to look good from here. Um but basically the screen is four by three, so you have. Oh, okay. So so it's it's um it's pillar boxed, but it has like a gradient on the pillar boxing. It's not just black, so it kind of meshes a little bit better with the game that's running in the in the middle there. Um, and then they have light gray overlays of like some of the buttons for the game controllers. What would, we, would be the game controllers? What was weird was that the overlays more corresponded to like a PlayStation controller than a PC controller because it was like L one R one. Like those buttons yeah. were there. Um, they uh, the button that you would hit the most in the game, just like X or whatnot, just you know to, to forward through dialogues and just to get you through the engine. That's the largest button on the right side, so that was convenient. They kind of just like they knew that was coming, so they just laid it out like more appropriate. And then when it comes to anything that's for motion, there's not a permanent joystick thing anywhere. It's wherever you put your thumb down on the unbuttoned area of the screen and then move it. It just generates the circle right there. That's okay. always where my joystick is, where and, my and thumb it, ends and it up. Does that, and it does that until you until you let your thumb up, and then the circle just re-disappears. So it's actually pretty seamless as far as that goes. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's still, I don't think I've hesitated that long on an iOS purchase. Um, oh yeah, Square stuff is super expensive. I just like the idea that as we go forward, we could get the majority of the library of some of these older games that are, you know, you'd have to have like a PlayStation Network uh, account and like a PlayStation Vita or a PSP Go or something to play before legally. And now you can get it on iOS. And even if it is $16, that's a lot cheaper than buying a PSP and doing a whole bunch of work to get it on there. So considering, like, what Square's output has been of recent... Yeah, we could just have all of the good games. Like, the GPU power and phones could very well catch up to their catalog <laughs> being good. Yeah. Well, it only takes them about five to seven years to put out a new Final Fantasy game, so... By then, it'll just be on iPhone. Yeah. There will be no need for a console. Oh, and it does iCloud saves. Oh, that's good. So they added an iCloud button to the uh, to the thing here. Although I'm trying to figure out how to get it to let me continue. Oh, I can't continue. Because I didn't save my game. Unacceptable. Mm. I only played it for the first couple minutes the other night. And now it's doing a video that's unskippable. So. <sighs> anyway. And it that's it. It was, it was kind of nostalgic, though, just to be able to sit on my couch and 
fire up Final Fantasy VII right there on the phone. You know. It was interesting. Anyway. Alright, well, I guess that wraps it. Uh, once again, you can check out the show notes for this episode with uh, Jeremy's corrected uh, microphone number, which changes the last zero to a one. Uh, flip the bit. He, he had to flip the bit, Yep, yes. I had to flip the bit. Uh, if you flip the bit, it just magically goes from XLR to USB. If only... If only everything else around an adapter. If this one trick turn your XLR <laughs> microphone into USB. If only. I will do you this. You will not believe how easy it is. I will do this to my AKG headset as soon as I get home. Um, uh, show notes. PCPro.com slash podcast. That's where you'll find all those corrections we were talking about. Um, the Twitters. Twitter.com slash Ryan Shrout. Twitter.com slash PCPer. I'm Twitter.com slash Malvin Tano. Josh is Josh D. Walrath. Jeremy is the one and only Jeremy Hellstrom. It's not too many of us. Don't type in the one and only though. It's just it's just Jeremy. it's the underscore one underscore only. Yeah, it, numero. He ran out of letters. Yes, it's the number one with three bangs. I, I can actually only do one. a tweet that's about three characters long because of my name. Yes, <laughs> and then uh, Sebastian. At Sebastian Peak on Twitter. At Sebastian Peak, and then Ken. Ken underscore Addison, because I waited too long to get my actual name. Oh, on see, yeah. Yeah. Oh. you snooze, you lose, man. So there's all the the Twitter infos, and um, this is the part where I do the closing slash outro. So I will just say, uh, I'm Alan Mamantano. See you on Saturday. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Sebastian Peak. Thanks for listening, guys. Good night. Bye.